Support for the Quite Unusual Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the ultimate hygiene bundle for the man in your life, the Performance Package. Help him join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code QUITEUNUSUAL at manscaped.com. Manscaped has everything you need to get your sweaty, hairy balls gross and bush under control. It's not just for men, it's for everyone. It's time to take care of the hairy people in your life. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with code quite unusual. That's right, 20% off and free shipping if you use the code quite unusual at manscaped.com. Get those hairy balls and bush under control with Manscaped. Whoa, how did, how did you do that? I don't know, it just came out of me. It was amazing. Quite unusual. Hello, and welcome to the Quite Unusual Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Noelle. And I'm Nicole. And we recently just took a... Echinacea. Echinacea. No one knows what any of this is. No, it's it's just like an inside joke between us and um, another person. Also, it can be... If you guys just want to start saying... Echinacea. You can also use it. As an inside joke. I just love talking in this voice. It's almost like a sultry transatlantic or something. I know, right? Should I do the entire episode in this voice? Can you (laughs) say the name, the title of this episode in that voice, please? Wakari slash White Island Volcano Eruption. 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 You know, when you're going out with a man, you see that he erupts (laughs) a little too soon. Like this volcano? No, that's like transatlantic. That's yeah. that's not. That's the not that. Sorry, sorry. It's like in the back of your throat. And it's like you can't move your jaw. You got, you got like peanut butter stuck somewhere. On your Somebody is turning this podcast off right now. <laughs> sorry. We should get an uh, yeah. echinacea sponsorship. We should. Unfortunately, we don't have an echinacea sponsorship, we but we, we do have a magic mind we sponsorship. Do. That's right. We love those little green juices so much. <sighs> the sweet, sweet people at Magic Mind said, work up your mind with this little magic mind. Reduce your anxiety and stress. Here's a ashwagandha. Yeah, I mean, I drank one this morning, and I am feeling funky and fresh. Dude, I'm I'm into that like two p.m. situation because you know I mean mm. I'm a four cup of coffee. She, a she's girl. a big two p.m. coffee drinker. Yeah, I've swapped it for a tiny little green juice. Little green juice. It's got matcha in it. It's so good. It's like earthy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is, but it's not like too earthy where it's like you know like you they have those like gross ass like wheat grass whatever. It's oh, like yeah. it, it's actually it actually tastes good too. So it it genuinely tastes good. And I know this sounds like an ad. But I have to say, every single day, we do drink these. And every yeah. single day, we feel it elevates our mood and our motivation. 
Yes, and if you actually use a code, um, the Sweet People and Magic Mind gave us a code. You can use Quite Unusual 20, mm. or you can go to magicmind.com. I think it's slash. Our Quite affiliate, unusual. our link should be in this episode, too, so if you guys are interested, click on that. Yes, if you want to try it, you will get 20% off if you use Quite Unusual 20. Mm. I think you also get 56% off if you do a subscription. Up to 56% on a subscription yes. if you want to go that route. Yes, so. and it's honestly very affordable, and um. Keeping myself full and of it. worth it. It's so true. worth it. Yes. So, uh, if you guys want to try Magic Mind, use code Quite Unusual Twenty. It works just as good, if not better, than Echinacea. Echinacea. Magic Mind. <laughs> All right. Can we talk about something very important right yes, now? Yes, I know. I I saw this. You showed this to me. It's we have to mention it. Did you see that they put this in the signs no. movie? No. I'm gonna no. wait. What? Oh my! Oh my! They, oh like my somebody God. made like a video of it. Well, first tell us what it is before we get to the signs. Okay. So if you guys are not on the internet, which you should be, because it's 2023, and where how are, are you? you? Where like, are you if you're not on the where internet? Are you, where are? You? Are you touching grass? Are you living your life in the wow. world? Is it freeing? What's it like? <sighs> What's the sky look like today? <laughs> I don't know. Blue? Is it green? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> the only blue sky I know is the terrible social media app. anyways the mexican government just had like a little hearing and they rolled out two little aliens okay yeah they're like these are ten thousand years old and then someone's like no they actually carbon dated it and they're only 800 years old well you know what they're fake well yeah like what has the government just been sitting on these bodies for like 800 years and they're like well you know what the United States says that uh, UFOs and aliens are real, so we're going to jump on that bandwagon. But they're, like, in these, like, cozy little beds. They don't even, they're, like, little tiny thing. Like, they're not even that cool looking. They're amazing. Like, if it was, if it actually truly were real and that was an alien, it would be so disappointing. I know. They're so, they're so tiny and weak. And you know what? I'm going to say it. I'm an alien. I'm an eight-legged alien truther. Spi- eight legs? Spiders? Crabs, everything turns into a crab, dude. No, evolution see, wise, evolu- no, not <sighs> evolution. People turn in, things turn into people, and then crabs. No, have you never seen SpongeBob, Mr. Krabs? Sponge- <laughs> Mr. Krabs is the evolved human, is yes, that what you're saying? He's the pinnacle, no. he is the Adonis. I think if there are aliens, they are some type of humanoid form. I, I don't, I think that there might be some like spider ish, but if the evolved and smart ones, I think are humanoids. I don't know. I'd say that whales have more brain synapses than we do, and they're like capable. Bees are capable of understanding the concept of zero. How do we want to just like pigeonhole this and be like everything is a bipedal? No, no. I don't. Mm. I don't know. I, can... I I have to disagree with you on that. I think the advanced. If there is, which there is, we know there are aliens. I think yes, that the they Mexican have, government just rolled out they have tiny be, little men. <laughs> they have to be some sort of humanoid form. Do you, they have like little dicks and stuff. Did you Do see they? That? No, I just saw their weird heads. Oh my God, hold up. We're going to pause this for one second while I show dicks. you. While I show you their tiny little dicks in this. <laughs> tiny All right, alien dicks. pause the show for one second. My favorite thing from science, well, on the internet is when they take things from signs, like when the... Uh, <laughs> the aliens like walking really quickly. Mama knows children. <laughs> and then it just makes me think of the scary movie three spoof of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where he's like, very, very disturbing. <laughs> just, I love that movie. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Signs? 
No, Scary Movie 3. Oh, well, one of my all-time favorite movies is Signs. It's a good one, too. I got up to go get a blanket for my cat because she's in her burrowing era, and she just fucking ignored it. So what a Mother of the Year award goes to me. All right, let's talk about another movie. Let's talk about a documentary that you recently watched. Okay, so... If you guys, I mean, haven't read this uh, title, which also you said it, you verbalized it out loud earlier Vacare. in this ninety-five minute so, intro. So I watched a documentary on Netflix, and it's called "The Volcano Rescue from Vakari." Okay, well, there's a colon in there, so colon rescue from Vakari. Thank you. And that's really what spawned my entrance, entrance, my interest on doing this topic for the podcast because. Who doesn't love a natural disaster? We all made volcanoes for a science fair at one point we in all, our lives. We've all seen Volcano. Yeah. We love the movie. We love volcanoes. Yes. Um, And you know what? We haven't. I don't think we've done a natural disaster on this podcast. I don't think we have either, actually. We've done, like, we did the uh, the fire with the nightclub. Yeah. And that That's was like the, an act that of one's God. kind of Not like similar. A... But yeah, this is like... Yeah, this is like a true natural mm-hmm. disaster, which is opening a whole new door for me. Is it? Because you know I like a science history situation. You do. So it's going to get weird. I just like a panic chaos situation. This so thrives in panic. So if you listen to this episode and you want to learn more, I will say a lot of information was taken from the documentary, but they have actual footage from like that day so if you listen to this and you're like hey i want to learn more highly suggest it's on netflix it's called the volcano rescue from vakari and because i mean this was in 2019 so everyone had cell phones yeah which makes it i don't know to me personally like if there's actual live footage of something that just makes it even more real and interesting to me so if you like this i suggest uh checking that out yes and we'll post some little clips on our social medias of it as well so, um, yeah, I don't know if you do have anything else. You want to talk about any other weird Mexican tiny men aliens that they found? Or do you want to just get right into it? I feel like the intro was annoying enough. I can nurse. I can nurse that we should just start a story. All right. Let's, let's start our story. All right. So our story takes place on White Island, as funny enough, white people call it. But the actual name is Vakari as the Maori people call it, and it is an active andesite stratovolcano located 30 miles off the coast of Wakatain, New Zealand, in the Bay of Plenty. Damn, I should have practiced my New Zealand accent for this. Can't, do you have one? Yeah, I do. Do it. Get it out. Get, okay, get but it. the thing that I have to is say that gets me into it, no, the thing that I have to say to get me into it is from what we do in the shadows. What is it? Well, he's not having any fun. Any fun? He's not having any fun. <laughs> All right, perfect. We got it. We got it on deck. We're, we're keeping it here. I think we got it. I think we got it. Okay. So Vakatane is a, or some people call it Vakatane, Vakatani. There's a lot of pronunciations. It is a picturesque town located in the Bay of Plenty region on the North Island of New Zealand. It is nestled on the eastern coast of North Island, the North Island, and Vakatane is known for its stunning natural beauty and outdoor recreational opportunities. If anyone ever questioned if this is a geography podcast, mm. you better you sit the fuck down for this episode. Right. Which I feel like, I mean, 
I don't know. I've never been to New Zealand, but I feel like this just describes all of New Zealand. You well, know, I, I mean, I saw just Lord of the Rings. Beautiful and so. picturesque and just it looks gorgeous. Good. It looks stunning. Stunning. Like that's like I got to go there before I mm. die. You know right? what I mean? It's known for its gorgeous landscape, its hunting and its fishing, and, of course, its tourism. The town relies heavily on tourism for its shops, its hotels, its restaurants, and even its tour companies, like the White Island Tours Group. Oh, I I see some foreshadowing. Hmm. It's a company whose main draw was for people seeking adventure and quote-unquote danger. Mm. It gave people the opportunity to visit and hike an active volcano. They simply do walk into Mordor. (laughs) They they truly do. Vakatane is considered a wonderful place to grow up with the ocean right on your doorstep. It has a small community, but it's very community-driven and just full of adventure. There are about 38,000 people. Around half are non-Maori, and the other half are of Maori descent. And both communities, they support each other. And in Maori folklore, they say that they come from the mountains of Wakari and that they are the protectors of the land. So the Maori people are like the native people. Of Wakatane. The town is surrounded by lush green hills, pristine beaches, and the majestic Wakatane River. The nearby active volcano, White Island or Vakari, just adds to the region's unique and dramatic landscape. It sounds so beautiful. Mm. So beautiful. And I think. Hold on. I think I might be saying that. I think it's Maori. Maori. Not Maori. Maori. It's spelled it's Maori. Maori. Should we make Maori. The, should we make the internet say it for us? Yeah, make the internet say it for All us. All right. Where you at, girl? Where you at? Maori. 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 It's Maori. Maori. Okay. It's we Maori. don't... I don't want to be sounding like an idiot here. Okay. So the Maori people. I even watched the documentary. Hmm. I even watched Moana. And it's like... So to paint a picture for you here, the... Vakatane is the mainland. So that's like on the mainland of New Zealand. White Island is an island off of the coast. So okay. it's separate. Okay. 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 So it's just like right there, but it's like. Yeah. You yes. can see it. If, if you drive along the coast, you mm-hmm. can see. I, you can see spot White Island from Vakatane. Is the island just like mainly the volcano? It's all volcano. It's okay. all the volcano. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. And actually the island once belonged to a Maori man. However, it was sold to a white guy who was a stockbroker. What? Shocker, right? I know. And then he refused to sell it to the government because, like, I don't know. To me, it's like, can you own, like, beauty, nat- nature? I don't know. Whatever. Also, like, why, why do you want to own a volcano? Right. That's not for you. So he refused to sell it to the government, but he did agree that it be declared a private scenic reserve. So I guess there's that. But leave it to a white man to figure out how to own and capitalize on a fucking volcano. Dude, everything is fucking capitalism. (sighs) I have a follow-up question for this later Mm -hmm. about potentially suing someone that owns a volcano Mm. if you get hurt in Mm. said volcano. I don't know. Maybe that that might come up later. I don't know. Just just yeah. wondering. This is it may. If know. you know, maybe think twice before you own a fucking <laughs> volcano. 
The island spans approximately 800 acres, but this is just the peak that is visible above water. So below the surface, the submarine volcano is much larger, and most of the volcano is actually underwater. Around 70% of it is underwater, so you can't even see it. Ah, volcanoes, the pimple of the earth. (laughs) It's a stratovolcano, so that means when it erupts, it doesn't spray lava like what you usually think of when you think volcano, kind of like the volcanoes in Hawaii. Instead, it puts down layers of rock and ash, and then it explodes with these bits of rock and ash and just like a very, very hot steam. I think that's what Mount St. Helen is as well, the one that I exploded. Think yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's no lava coming out of here. It's not like Pompeii style. No, it's, it's al- the other one. Also, though, very dangerous because of the... They're very dangerous. Well, yeah, All I mean, volcanoes are wildly dangerous. hot steam or hot lava coming at you, yeah. so <laughs> both are not great. Not great. The island consists of numerous hot springs, geysers, and fumaroles. I would eat that. Which a fumarole, which I hope I'm saying also that right. Who knows? Um, We're geologists. Wait, no. We're geographers. We're not geologists. We're geographers, not geologists. Okay. But a fumarole is um, when there is an opening on a surface that volcanic gases and vapors can come out of. And this volcano is also a part of the Ring of Fire. Of Johnny Cash fame. Mm Mm-hmm. The Ring of Fire is a region characterized by frequent volcanic eruptions and tectonic plate interactions that form a seismically active zone. So the Ring of Fire circles the Pacific Ocean. And numerous earthquakes are also a common occurrence within this area. So it's just kind of like a ring of... Like volcanoes and like areas where earthquakes happen a lot. And it literally just goes around the Pacific Ocean. Vakari or White Island stands as New Zealand's most active cone volcano. Its formation shaped by continuous volcanic activity spanning the last 150,000 years. It is an island closest to the mainland towns of Vakatane and Toronga and has consistently emitted volcanic gases for centuries, a phenomenon documented since James Cook's sighting of it in 1769. Nice. I didn't even notice that when I read that. Vakari, or White Island, experienced a prolonged eruption phase from December 1975 to September 2000. So I guess like during that period, it was just erupting. Pre-9-11. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it also erupted in 2012, 2016, and 2019. The island is called is also called Tapuya Volcano or the Dramatic Volcano. Okay, so she's like a drama queen. The dramatic volcano. We love her for this. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm seeing a, a pretty consistent pattern here. I mean, 2012, 2016, 2019. Is that not a little bit of a pattern? Yeah, it's 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 a pattern for sure. It's definitely a pattern. The island's live crater is situated to the southeast of its center and houses an acidic lake. And when the tour... The to- people take the tours. That's usually like the main focal point. Dude, have you ever seen? And well, you watch the documentary, but an acidic <laughs> lake. They're so fucking cool. Mm. They're so scary. 
Well, that's like, so when people do or went on tours, that's where like they would make go to the crater, the acid lake, and then kind of come back. So that was kind of like the main focal point of their tours. And this crater features a distinct sharp rim to the northwest. And the highest point of this island reaches an elevation of 1,053 feet. No one lives on White Island. It isn't very habitable, and it's mostly rock, and, well, it's an active volcano that erupts quite often. Right. Just literally going to go live on it. Right. Like, it literally, I cannot, I'm looking at a photo of it now, I cannot stress enough, this is literally just a volcano. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not, like, a tropical island. No, it's not like an island with a volcano on it. It's just a volcano. It is a volcano. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this little fact didn't stop people from visiting the island. In fact, the island was a popular tourist spot up until the year 2019. What what happened in, in well, 2019? Would you, would you like to know? I would, would like to would know. Would you like to know? I would like to know. Well, on the morning of December 9th, 2019, it was a day like any other day. A beautiful day. A nice day for tourists to sign up with White Island Tours and hike an active volcano. (laughs) Royal Caribbean's Ovation of the Seas luxury ship, like most cruises, they offered off-site excursions for their patrons to choose from at their docking points. And this cruise offered three different excursions to choose from that fateful Monday in 2019. Okay, I think I know what the other two were. Okay, so let me guess. So it's hiking a volcano, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Another one is just like a man throws knives at you while you stand against a wall, Mm -hmm. right? Yes, for sure. And then another one is that they just drop you into shark-infested waters while wearing the exact dress that Lady Gaga wore that was made of meat to the VMAs that one year. Close. Very close. Oh, okay. But um, actually, you mentioned this before. Their options, the three options were, one, to visit... Lord of the Ring Hobbiton set. Hobbiton? Hobbiton? Hob- okay, well, don't be offensive. Hobbiton? 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 Uh, yeah, Hobbiton. That's what, that's what <laughs> it's called. <laughs> so that was your first option. You could visit the Lord of the Ring set. Okay, I want to go to there. The second option was white, ra- white water rafting. Okay, also very dangerous. Or for the low, low price of $320, they offered guests a trip to White Island. To walk into a live volcano. A once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to walk an actual, live, active volcano. And for only $35 more, they will push you into it. Mm. Yes. Majority of the people on the island that day taking the tour were guests from the Ovation of the Seas cruise. The brochure described the island as the world's most active volcano. And a quick Google search and a quick Google search showed me that that was a lie. Okay, the thing about people calling things the most something or the only something mm-hmm. is that it is always a lie. There's like, how do you? You can't even. You can't even measure that. Okay, I am the world's number one geographer. Okay, I don't know. Maybe that was the case in 2019, but currently White Island is not the world's most active volcano. Do you so, know which one is? I don't. Okay. I just looked it up and I was like, that's not, okay, that's not the name. (laughs) So that's, yeah. 
The brochure also described the excursion as an easy hike or a simple walk to the crater to witness an active volcano. There's like t- 10 of them yeah, out of this that, one. Yeah, there's like, there's so many. Survivor Matt Yuri said nothing in the brochure sounded particularly dangerous. So that nothing was preventing them from being like, hey, this actually might erupt while you're on it. Yeah, of course. They're not going to do that. Just like if you go in like a little tiny submersible down to see the Titanic, they're going to be like, I mean, you might die, but like you probably won't die. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're not going to be like, you will definitely die if you do this, probably. Yeah. However, it was stated They said that this statement was posted on the tour organization's website, and this is verbatim apparently what it said. Valkari slash White Island is currently on alert level two. This this level indicates moderate to heightened volcanic unrest. There is the potential for eruption hazards to occur, but they say eruption hazards. They don't say there is a potential for the volcano to erupt while you're on it, you know? Right. They're kind of like jumping around it with their words. Yeah, because they don't want to lose out on tourist money, I'm sure. White Island tours operate through the varying alert levels, but passengers should be aware that there's always a risk of eruptive activity regardless of the alert level. White Island tours follows a comprehensive safety plan which determines our activities on the island at the various levels. I'm going to say that this is not 100% accurate of a statement. So they're telling people, you're walking on this island, Uh this is an active volcano, it could erupt. But then they're also saying, but don't worry, we're a tour company, we are monitoring it, We, we have a safety plan, it's a comprehensive safety plan. Do you know if the man that owns the island also owns this tour company? No, he does not. Oh, very interesting. Mm-hmm. They very have to rent and lease it. They they pay to have renting a tour. The volcano. They pay to have a tour on the volcano. Yeah, but it's not. He's not involved with How? this tour company. Okay, that's very. Or interesting. there, there's three men. Ooh. Um. So yeah. So, I mean, like any tour, mm-hmm. if you're going, you. You expect to be safe. You're not gonna. They're not like, oh yeah, you might die. Yeah, exactly. Because if you're it's putting safe your trust for children on a cruise line to do. You're putting your trust into this company. You're paying them. Mm-hmm. They're not. There was nothing in here that said that you might die. The yeah. volcano might erupt. So yeah, you would think though that if it was at a heightened level, they'd like suspend tours. Mm-hmm. But you would think. You, would, you one, would think. one would think. Spoiler: They did not. But most of the people also here this day, they didn't book on the website, remember? They yeah. booked through the cruise ship. Right. It was one of the excursions that they offered. So they're not seeing this alert on the website because they're not going to the website. They're right. doing it through the cruise. And because this took place in 2019, like I said, there's a lot of video footage of the eruption and also from the people who were on the island at the time. So like, there's a lot of videos of people running and screaming and cameras just jumbled all around a lot of the video footage is shown in the documentary and you can also youtube it as well they have some stuff american tourists matt and lauren yuri had just gotten married and were on their honeymoon on the 12th day of the ovation of the seas cruise oh oh no They were switching off excursion picks, so one day Lauren would pick an excursion, and then the next day Matt would pick an excursion. Oh, no. 
This particular day was Matt's pick because he was the adventurous one. And he decided that he wanted to hike a volcano. Okay, so I know it's easy to be like, oh, Matt, come the fuck on, right? Like a mm-hmm. volcano. But they really did sell this as like, it's safe. We do it all the time. You're just like walking around like this island that also is a volcano. There is no preconceived notion here that this, you could die. No, yeah. And she was also very wary of it uh-huh. in the beginning. She was like, I don't know. But like you said, it's a tour company. You're putting your faith and your trust into these people. You, I mean, they've done multiple tours without uh-huh. incident. You would think just based on, I don't know, luck and chance, like nothing's happened thus far. Why would it happen when you go? You know, what, what are the chances of that? Right. Australian tourist Jesse Langford was on the cruise with his mom, dad, and sister. They were a family of adventurers and thrill seekers, and they all jumped at the chance to visit an active volcano. They departed from the cruise ship at 9 a.m., took an hour bus to Vakatane, and from there they boarded the boats that would take them to White Island. Stephanie Browitz, who was 23, was on the cruise with her mom, her dad, and her sister. And they were taking the trip to celebrate her sister's 21st birthday. This is so sad. I know. She said she never had any urge to visit a volcano, but it wasn't until the cruise line offered it up as a possibility that she even really considered it. Would you visit an active volcano? I think out of the three choices... That were presented, I probably would have gone to the Lord of the Rings site. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. All day. But I wouldn't not visit an active volcano. I would not. I would not visit an active volcano. I would. The the, the tour company says it's okay. I would totally would have gone. I've, I one time swam in between two tectonic plates, plates that are, there could be an earthquake. This, this literally could have been me. I did that in Iceland. You could have been like a little... And they were like, oh, the last time it's happened has been like over 500 years ago. But are they measuring it? I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Stephanie said it was a spur-of-the-moment decision to go. Stephanie, her father Paul, and her sister Crystal all departed from the boat, but her mother Marie decided to stay on the ship. A decision that most likely saved her life. Jeff Hopkins was one of the few involved who was not a passenger of the Ovation of the Seas cruise. His daughter Lilani surprised him with tickets for his 50th birthday because she was studying geology and volcanic activity and she had just this had been something that she really wanted to do. Oh no. The tour company presented everyone on the tour with safety documents to sign basically stating that they were aware there was a risk of being on the island, but the people attending never felt as though they were at risk. And most of the people from the cruise were not told the volcano was at a level two, nearing a level three. Mm. Level three, I'm going to assume, is the highest of the levels. Yes. Okay. So it really wasn't until they were actually on the island that that they were informed that the island was, in fact, at a level two risk. So... Level one means nothing's happening. Everything is cool, fine, normal, right? Level two means heightened activity. And this can mean a range of things because the scope between level two and level three is massive. So these levels really are confusing and don't really mean much because level three 
is an actual eruption. I don't understand. <laughs> There's only three levels. Level one is green light. Everything's level chill. Level one, yeah, it's like fine, 100% normal. Cool. Two is like between normal and Two oh, is like, it maybe. Might, it might you know, we never know. We never know. Yellow light, we never know. Yeah. And red is like, this is fully erupting. Yeah. It's like, yep. It's happening. There should be seven more. <laughs> there should be so many in between. Like, give it like a one through ten. Even like a one through five would yeah, be better. A one through. You know. Yeah, right. I know. I know. It's really stupid. Color coded. I don't know. So the volcano that they are currently traversing is at a level two risk, meaning it could literally erupt at any moment. The next level was an eruption. <laughs> Fucking so stupid. But this didn't seem to bother the tour company or any of the guides, really. And the guides were not a bunch of idiots either. Many of them had been working with the company for years. They knew the island. And in fact, one of the guides that day was Hayden Marshall. And this trip was his 1,111th trip. Wow. 1111. Angel numbers. Make a wish. So... He's, this isn't his first time. He knows the island. He's like like the back of his hand. There were two boats going out to the island that day. The first one was the Phoenix, and Jeff and his daughter, he was the one who wasn't a part of the tour, they were riding on this one. And the second one was the Tapuya, and this had Matt and Lauren, Jesse and his family, and Browitz, the Stephanie and her dad and sister. The boat ride from Vakatane to White Island was about 90 minutes long, and the ride out to the island was not the smoothest. Hmm. So the waters were rough, and a lot of people were getting seasick on the way out. If you want to skip the vomit, they also offer helicopter rides out to the island, but obviously that's going to cost you a little bit more. But if you do decide to opt for the helicopter ride, that trip's about 20 minutes long. Also, I bet it's amazing. Oh, yeah, right? Yeah. That day was the first day that the helicopter pilot, Brian DePaw, was allowed to fly passenger solo. And that day was perfect conditions for a helicopter ride. So Jeff gets to the island with his group. And he's just, Jeff is the one with his daughter. Mm -hmm. He's just in awe. It's beautiful. People described it as like being on a different planet, like Mars or something, or something out of Jurassic Park. Ooh. This is the first boat. The, the first The boat. Tapuya is, would, is the second boat this coming out. This is the Phoenix. This is the Phoenix. You could feel the heat emanating from the volcano and the ground felt warm, and there was steam rising for the ground from the ground. But all of this was normal. Like, that's typically what you get when you walk on an active volcano. I would like to think that this would freak me out and I would be scared. But I'd probably be like, this is so fucking cool. Right? <laughs> Throw me into the volcano. Yeah. Brian also lands with his crew. And he had two couples with him. And they, too, are making their way up to the crater, like, with the first group. So... I think the helicopter might have been like a separate tour type of situation. Okay. Because they're not a part of these boats. Like they're kind of like in their own group. It might be like, it might have been like a private because mm -hmm. he only had two, four people with him. He only had two couples. Mm -hmm. So I think if like you wanted to spend more and you wanted to do like a private thing, mm -hmm. you like did the helicopter one. Okay. So the people from the helicopter are on the island around the same time. They're not, it's not, they're not like 
head to head with them. They're mm-hmm. just like on this around the same time as the Phoenix. Okay, and they're walking up to the crater. Mm-hmm. And as the people from the Phoenix are wrapping up, they're making their way down. They they made their way to the crater, the acid lake. They took their pictures. Now they're coming back down towards the boats. And this is when the second boat arrives. So this is the Tapuya. And in order to get to the island from the bigger boats, so the Phoenix and the Tapuya, people have to take little Zodiac boats from the ship to the island because the bigger boats couldn't get close enough to the shore. So it's kind of like a dinghy. So they're, the bigger boats are like anchored out in the ocean, and then you have to take a smaller boat to the island. Whenever I think about the Zodiac boats, which are those inflatable ones, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I always think of Greenpeace for some reason. <laughs> it's just like in my head, like synonymous with like a Zodiac is like also Greenpeace, like <laughs> driving up to next to like a giant tanker or something. <laughs> I do not know why that image is in my head. And also for a very long time, I thought Greenpeace wasn't real. Why didn't you think Greenpeace was real? I don't know. <laughs> so the second group from the Tapuya gets on the island, and right away they smell sulfur, but the area is just still so beautiful. And a lot of people mentioned that they also didn't realize how far away the island was from the mainland. So White Island was actually very isolated. Like I mentioned, it's about a 90-minute boat ride. Or 20 minutes in a helicopter, but it's like 90 minutes on from a boat off the coast of Vakatane. So if anything happens, you're 90 minutes out from getting to anyone. Unless yeah, and, you're on a helicopter. And like best case scenario, 90 minutes. Yeah. So the second group, the Tapuya boat, was being guided by two guides named Hayden and Tiffany. And Tiffany was new to the job, and he was not supposed to be working that day. Oh! <gasps> Was this day off? Someone called in sick, and he had to fill in for them. Tiffany, no. Doesn't that suck? Everyone on the tour got a hard hat and a respirator if they wanted one to help them breathe, since there were a lot of uh, toxic volcanic gases being emitted everywhere. Tourists were also given hard candy to suck on to help soothe their throats from the irritation from the volcanic steam. Okay, so like a little treat, a little hat, a mm-hmm. little stylish, little drama volcano. Yeah. I'm loving this. So they're given a short safety brief, and then the group makes their way towards the crater. And at this time, Phoenix is, you know, they're coming back. They're basically all getting ready they're heading back to the boat right, so their time up. yeah yeah their time is kind of done it's tapuya now their tour is starting hayden tells the group once they're on the island that the island was currently at a level two risk but he didn't really say what that meant just that it's at a high risk of activity and this bit of information makes some people like lauren nervous yeah, because as it should yeah, I mean, you're like, you're standing on an active volcano and your guide's telling you, um, yeah, it's at a level two. It's heightened activity, actually. And you're like, okay, cool. You're like, how many levels are there? <laughs> Great. I'm here now. Yeah. And how many levels are there? Oh, only three. Okay. So, so is this like a 2.1 or like a 2.75? Right. But to that point, most people weren't phased because the guides were fine with it. So everyone else was fine. Yeah, you're going to trust them. Yeah, I mean, they've done it. They do it all the time. This is their job. Also, I'm looking up photos of this acid lake, which is fucking badass. We will Mm -hmm. post pictures of it. It's so fucking cool. But I'm laughing so hard because there's a bunch of, like, Instagram pictures (laughs) of, like, a woman 
like walking and she's like holding someone's hand and like I would follow you anywhere like into this acid lake. I would follow you into an acid lake. It's fucking hilarious. Dude. The internet has made the world a fucking insane place. So the trail the groups took, it was kind of like a loop. So you started at the beach, you hiked your way up to the crater and the acid lake, which was the big viewing point of the whole tour. And then after that, you turned around and you made your way to the boats. So it's kind of like a big loop situation. Yeah. So the group passes bubbling pools, sulfur chimneys, sulfur deposits, which are a beautiful bright yellow color that sparkle in the sun. They pass the acid lake and the guide brings up an interesting piece of information. Uh-huh. They told the group that the lake was usually a bright green blue color. Okay. But today, the lake was white. Oh. And they say it's possibly because overnight there may have been some kind of volcanic activity that had caused ash to rain down into the lake. Oh. So, at this point, I mean, not we're not blaming any guides here. No, we're not. And we're not victim blaming. We're not victim not blaming at all. At all. But at this point, as a guide, I might be like, hmm. I mean, maybe they've seen it before. And nothing That's true. Happened. Like, if these people are going to this volcano literally thousands of times, yeah. they probably live right, you know, right by it. Like, yeah. I don't know. I would trust them. If well, they're not yeah. scared, I also wouldn't be scared. And we'll also find that there is, um, it's called Geonet, and they, they monitor the volcanic activity. So, I don't know. If I'm a guide doing this every day, this is my job, and there's somebody monitor- monitoring the seismic activity on the island, I would feel comfortable being like, they're going to know when it's going to erupt, right? Yeah. They should know. Yeah. Oh, oh, they for sure. They should. If they're monitoring, the like, there's cameras on the island. Like, they, they have actual cameras on this island that Geonet monitors. For sure. I'm also, just, I'm looking at photos, and one of the captions... I won't say it now. I'll say it later. But mm-hmm. um, like, it seems like they kind of knew something was going to happen like a year before. There is there is some heightened activity, but like I said, it's it's a yeah. vo- it's a fucking volcano. You no one knows when a volcano is. Yeah, I don't think you can actually really tell when a volcano. Right, it's just like erupt. it happens. You can just make assumptions based on the fact like that thirty ac- minutes activity yeah. has heightened. Right, and like sense. it's probably possible. But once again, the guide was okay with this bit of information, so everyone was like, okay, we're okay too. They were actually making jokes about it, saying like, oh, ha, 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 like how nice of the volcano to wait and erupt and do volcano things at night, like while no one's here. Like it decided to be scary and erupt after hours, not when everyone's here. Like, (laughs) hello's humor. Yeah. And Lauren even asked one of the guides when the last eruption was because she was starting to get nervous. And I think I said 2012 before. Uh-huh. They told her 2013. So okay. I don't know if it was 12 or 13. Maybe it was both years. It was somewhere, somewhere around that time. Okay. Because they told her there was one in 2013, one in 2016. And she was like, there's a pattern here. And she, and she even said, well... It's the end of 2019. Right. It seems like it happens every three years and it hasn't happened yet this year. Right. And it's December 9th. Oh, no. 
So she's starting to get very nervous. And I think at this point, like I said, with the lake, like they notice the lake. And I think some of them start to think that it's weird because at this point, some of the guides are starting to get a little uneasy. Um, Stephanie Browitz overhears one of the guides telling another member of their crater of their group that the crater walk was going to be cut short because they were recognizing the heightened risk and the heightened activity. And so he tells the group, we're going to have to be quicker than usual. Like, we got to get out of here. Yes. So I think once they're there, the tour guides are like, fuck, we should go. This is like something's happening or something clearly something big happened overnight, which is why this lake is white. Yeah. So if it didn't erupt, it's probably going to soon. In fact, the volcano was at a level two warning for two weeks. Oh, fucking K. At this point. Okay. Geonet Geological Hazard Information for New Zealand stated White Island may be entering a period where eruptive activity is more likely than normal. So they issued this two weeks ago. Okay. That should have been a point where the tour company said, we're closed. I'm going to assume that it was like a low level too. And now because it's two weeks later, it's a very high level too. But like, let's well, not no, close this two, down, right? Two weeks ago, they they noted that it was entering a period where eruptive activity was more likely than normal. So for two weeks, yeah, it's building, you yeah. know, like in the tour. Two weeks like, ago, they're like, this can erupt now. Yeah. And they still are just letting tours happen. But it's not erupting right now. No. So. But neither the cruise ship nor the tour company ever relayed any of this to the people buying tickets to tour this island either. Someone for sure got that email and just deleted it. <laughs> It was around 2 p.m. at this point, and everyone from the Phoenix is all pretty much back on the boat. And they're so they're safety. They're in the water. They're on the boat. They're heading back to the mainland at this point. Still within sight of the island, though. They can still see the, the White Island. Okay. There are still 47 people left on the island from the Tapuya boat. And the Tapuya group was sort of split into two groups. So... There were some people who were still right at the crater taking pictures, and there were some that were starting to head back towards the beach. So they're kind of split into two. Some people are right in the center of the action. Some people are making their way out. Okay. Stephanie and her family and Jesse and his family are a part of the group that are near the crater. Lauren and Matt are a part of the group that are starting to make their way down. The group nearest the crater is about 10 minutes behind the second group. So while they're separated, like they're really, they're not that far away from each other. Yeah, for sure. Not that far. Brian, the helicopter pilot, is also with four people that he brought to the island. But like I said, they're kind of doing their own thing. The They too are making their way back down, but they're a little bit closer to the beach than the second group, the Tapuya group, Matt and Lauren. Okay, so we have three different groups. One's different closer groups. to the beach, one's in the middle, and one's right by the crater. Yes, okay. exactly. So Stephanie is taking pictures near the crater when she starts to see black smoke come out of the crater. And like anybody, a normal person, she takes a picture of it. I would also do this. Exactly. Correct. Matt described it as looking just like chimney smoke, just coming up. It wasn't anything intimidating. It's not making any noise. It's just this black smoke. 
And Jesse actually describes it as looking like a Dementor from Harry Potter. Oh, which is always a good omen. <laughs> right. Always a good omen. So everyone's just like, oh, like, that's weird. And I think one guy even says like, oh, hey, look at that. And they look see this Dementor. They see this black smoke coming out. And everyone's just like, huh. And then everyone hears a loud bang erupt. And rocks start to shoot into the air. Jesus Christ. Realizing what's happening, the guides just yell, run. Panic sets in. The guides are screaming at everyone to run. And it's just panic. And everyone's just like trying to make it to the beach, like just away from this crater. And there's video footage of this exact moment, too. It's just like somebody carrying their phone and it's just like (gasps) jumbling and you can hear the rocks and people are screaming. It's insane. It's insane. It's probably so scary to like run down to if it's all rocky. Mm -hmm. So everyone is, you know, in the beginning, everyone's just casually walking around, taking pictures. The black smoke starts and you hear the guide scream, run. Because at that point, they know it's erupting. Yeah. And it's just utter chaos. Everyone's just trying to make it to the boats, but they soon realize that the eruption is quicker than they can run. So most people try to just take cover behind something, like anything they can find. Very smart. Matt and Lauren take cover behind an outcrop of rocks, and so do Stephanie and her family. And then the black cloud finally encompasses everyone, and it just overtakes everything. And the cloud was just like a black void. Like you couldn't see anything around you, not even your hand in front of your own face. (gasps) Even though it was midday and it was very bright out. So it's just everything is black. There's roaring from the eruption, so it made it even hard to hear anything else. So you're, you can't see anything. You can't hear anything. I it's imagine you, just crazy. You can't breathe because there's mm-hmm. ash in the air. That's what's making it so dense. It's difficult it's probably to breathe. Super hot. Mm-hmm. Like I bet it feels like you're in hell. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, the phoenix was just offshore of the island when the volcano erupted. And so people are on the boat, you know, they're watching, they're looking at the island and they see these, this eruption happening and they see this black, the smoke come out, they hear it happening, people whip out their phones, they start recording. There's also footage of this in the documentary, but they're recording from the safety of the boat. And then they suddenly come to the realization that there was a group behind them and that there were still people trapped on this island. So the crew called everyone into the cabin of the boat and he starts speeding further away because he he doesn't know how far it's going to go. He doesn't know if it's going to go to them in the water or what. Oh, yeah. If there's rocks flying through the Mm -hmm. air, like a rock could sink your ship. Yeah. So he's trying to get out of there as fast as he can to protect the people on the boat. Brian, the helicopter pilot, and his group of four, like I said, they were almost to the water when they see this black cloud forming. So they're they're the furthest away. I mean, obviously, besides the people from the Phoenix, they're the furthest away from the crater in this cloud of smoke. Mm-hmm. And they see it, and someone in the group asks him if they should run. And Brian, at this point, has to think very quickly. He knew he had two options. He could direct his group back towards the helicopter to try to get them up in the air before the cloud reached them, or he could direct them into the water. And with the helicopter being about 300 to 400 yards away, he knew they wouldn't make it in time. So he tells his people, he says, run, run for the water, dive in the water to try to escape the eruption. And this is a move that 
helped save them and spare them from burns from the steam. That it also makes sense because imagine if a rock hit this helicopter mm-hmm. like up in the air. Like helicopters just go down yeah. for no fucking reason. It seems like so. So this he's, is, I'm like getting adrenaline from this. Yeah, me reading this. So he so so he's with four people. He said two people were able to also jump in the water with him. Two yeah. didn't didn't make it. Yeah, but they still. I mean, they're further from everyone else. I'm sure. I don't know the specifics of their injuries because yeah. I don't know their names or like their stories. Obviously, uh-huh. um, but I'm assuming that they they probably got burned a lot less than the people right there. But him and two other people were able to jump in the water. In the water. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is just like right as the cloud is making its way towards them. So he dives in the water and he said that he just stayed underwater and t- tried to hold his breath for as long as he possibly could because he knew that like that was what was keeping him safe. And he said that because of the cloud, he's like everything just went black underwater. He <gasps> couldn't see anything. And honestly, like he makes it out, he doesn't have any injuries because he jumped in the water. Imagine how which is fast, amazing. Like how fast it, it goes to mm-hmm. from the moment like this they see this steam, it's probably yeah. less than a minute. Right. And he had to time it just right too, because like they're seeing this black cloud come at him and he's yeah. like, All right, we have to jump in the water. Like we have to go, like that's what's gonna protect us. Yeah. So he just like timed it right, jumped in the water, stayed down as long as he could. And then eventually comes up and he he comes out of it with zero burns because Very of smart. this. Very smart. So the people on the island were doing their best. They're sheltering from the rocks as they fall from the sky. Rocks are hitting their hard hats. But there's one thing that they couldn't hide from. And this is the pyroclastic flow, which is the current of hot gas and steam and volcanic matter just like rolling around them. And it's super hot. It's literally coming from the Earth's core. The steam was burning people alive where they stood, burning their skin through their clothing. So their clothing isn't burning off. The Mm -hmm. steam is going through their clothing and burning them, which is insane to me also. And then so everyone's just like standing there trying to hide. They're all burning alive, basically. And then the smoke starts to clear. And the eruption only lasted two minutes. And then the smoke starts to clear and then ash starts to fall. So at this point... Things are starting to clear. Everyone's trying to find everyone else. People Mm -hmm. are rolling around on the ground, screaming and shouting in pain. Everyone who was on the island is now severely burned. I can imagine. The steam from the volcano was around 392 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, my God. So everyone is just covered in third degree burns. Like burns are just covering their bodies. Sometimes when I pour pasta into the <laughs> colander in the sink, it the burns steam, my face a yes. little bit. And there's no fucking way that's anywhere close to this. Sometimes I do it like, and I'll put, I'll be like, oh, it's a steam mask. And I'll put my face over it to like open my pores. Yeah. I also do that. And then I think about the little pieces that are coming out of my pores and falling into my spaghetti. And then I stop immediately. Oh shoot. I don't, I've never thought about that, but now I will. <laughs> So it's super hot, right? Layers of skin are falling off of people. But a lot of the people know that if they if they had any chance of surviving, that they needed to get back to the boat or at least towards the boat. Yes. Away from the volcano. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people were not able to walk. The group closest to the crater were obviously the most badly burned because they were right there in the middle of the action. The further group with Matt and Lauren, they're still burned. I mean, they they were further down, but mm-hmm. they still have burns throughout their entire body. Like there is really 
they're not really spared. Let's just put it that way. So if you were above the water, you were getting burned by the steam mm-hmm. and ash. Yeah. You basically, even if you're wearing clothing, the steam's going through your clothing. Like nothing Ugh. is covering you. I wonder, I wonder if like, I don't know, some material like burned onto your body and stuff. I don't think so. I think it was just like the steam. Really? Like I don't think anything really burned. The one guide in the documentary, so she heard the back of her legs uh-huh. were spared. So, like, she's like, well, thank God, because she was kneeling. (gasps) So her own body was covering the backs of her legs so she didn't get burned there because she was, like, kneeling with her head, her hands over her head, like, trying to take cover. And so that part of her legs, they didn't get burned because her own body was, like, covering it. it. Yeah. Unbelievable. This is terrifying. Brian and his group were, like I said, the two, they were the only ones to escape the steam just because they jumped into the water. The skipper from the Phoenix made a very, very important decision, one that most likely saved a lot of lives. He decides that he's going to bring the boat back to the island to try to rescue any remaining people that are there. And this was a dangerous decision because no one knew if the volcano was going to erupt again or if it was done, you know. So he calls the Coast Guard and he tells them what happened And then he goes back to the island to try to help. That's a very difficult decision as well. Mm -hmm. Like, do you spare yourself or do you try to save who you can? Sirens start to go off on the main island, alerting people of Wakatane that there has been an eruption on the island. The Coast Guard heads out to the island. But remember, it's a 90-minute ride out there. Oh, my God. Brian's helicopter has been completely destroyed by the blast. Its rotors are all bent, and it's basically useless. So they're not taking that out of there. Jesse was about 100 yards from the crater. And once the smoke clears, he sees his dad sitting up, but he sees his mom's not moving, and she's just laying on the ground, and he has no idea where his sister is. <gasps> Stephanie is also near the crater, and she, the smoke clears, and she looks down at her hands, and her skin is just falling off. Her nails were hanging off of her. Oh, my God. And everyone is just covered in ash because now there's ash just falling. I The visual image that gave me, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Spoiler warning. <laughs> Stephanie hears her dad call her name, but she doesn't know where her sister is. And they were so badly burned that she she couldn't move. She was just kind of, she said that the only thing she could do was just sit there and wait to be rescued because there's no way she's making it down towards oh, her the boats. skin is falling off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What yeah. do you do? <laughs> Brian sees a group of people covered in ash making their way towards him by the shore. And this is the second group, the one with Matt and Lauren that they were in. Oh, okay. So um, the one that was further, they were further from the crater. So the Phoenix sends its Zodiac boats out to the island to assess the situation, pick up any survivors that were able to make it. So Brian's helping people get onto the boat, and he said he's, like, he's helping, holding their hands, like, helping them get up. And as he's taking these people's (sighs) hands, their skin is just falling off as he's grabbing them, like, helping them aboard. Yeah. So it's disgusting. (laughs) There are two trips from the island to the Phoenix, and everyone who made it to the shore has been loaded onto the Phoenix. So all the people from, like, the second group, they're all severely severely burned, but they got these people loaded. They're on the Phoenix. But everyone near the crater 
is still there and they're unable to move from their injuries. I cannot imagine how fucking painful this must have been. It is a wonder all of these people are not in shock and like Mm -hmm. dying of being in shock from this. So once aboard the Phoenix, Jeff and his daughter, uh, they were first aid certified. So they grab any first aid kits they can find and they start doing whatever they can to help these people. Basically, the only thing that they really could do to help their burns is put cold water on their skin. There's like there's nothing else really that they have because these are just basic first aid kits. You know, here's a Band-Aid. And also when you burn yourself, like nothing makes it feel better Mm -hmm. except for running under cold water. So the people who they were helping, they were burned from 45 to 80 percent of their bodies were burned. And he knows that because he's first aid trained, survival rates of burn victims after 45 percent go down significantly. So he's like, it's clear some people here are not going to make it the 90 minute boat ride back to the mainland. It's just they're just not going to make it. Right. Like statistically speaking. Yeah. What a cool cruise you guys went on. <laughs> this is so fucking sad. I know. Several Phoenix crew members actually volunteered to stay behind and search for any other remaining survivors on the island. So just the people that were on the boat going back to. Mm-hmm. So crew the members from the boat are they okay. like, we'll stay here. We'll search. We'll see. None of them really go to the crater. And I don't blame them because yeah. like you have to hike up there. They're kind of just hanging around the shore, just like seeing if any other survivors show up. Commercial helicopter pilot Mark Law sees the eruption as he's driving down the coast when he notices the plume of black smoke coming off of White Island. Tim Burrow, another commercial helicopter pilot, gets word from Volcanic Air that there has been an eruption. And based on the footage from the GeoNet cameras, which they had on the island and they monitored, they show that there are still people on the island. Like, there are little black dots, and they're like, wow. there are still people here. Because they don't know. Like, they're not yeah. in communication with the tours and stuff. So both Tim and Mark, they spring into action. They grab their gear, whatever first aid supplies they can get. They fuel up, and they're in the air, headed to the island to search for survivors. And these are they're just commercial helicopter pilots. Yeah. They're not search and rescue. Yeah. And this is about 40 minutes after the initial eruption. Okay, plus the 20 minutes that plus it takes to get Plus the 20 minutes it takes to get there. John Funnel, an airplane pilot, was doing some flying at Vocatane. He was just testing out new equipment when he heard Mark on the radio calling for a fixed wing. So he needed someone to circle overhead, like around the island, while they were on the island, as a means of communication, because there's no fixed radio system and cell phone service is bad on the island. So he needs somebody above them that they can communicate to while they're on the ground to be like, this is what's happening type oh, wow. of thing. And John volunteers and makes his way to the island. And so he's just circling in the air around and providing the helicopter pilots with all of the info from air control that he's getting. OK, I want to say something. This is like bringing a tear to my eye. These people are jumping into action to help mm-hmm. strangers mm-hmm. for no reason, just out of the goodness of their hearts. Yep. This is amazing. Yeah. This is amazing how these people are coming together to do this. Complete strangers. Yeah. To help other complete strangers. And in the documentary, too, it was like the I think it was Mark Law. It was one of the helicopter pilots. They were just like they said we didn't give any like two thoughts like they, there were people there. There were survivors like I'm we need to cry. We needed to get there. Like, they needed help. That's so... 
amazing. Yeah. So Matt and Lauren are on the Phoenix and they said it was the worst boat ride of their life. There was no room in for them in the cabin because they're helping like the people who are worse burned in the cabin, trying to get them any first aid they can. So they're just sitting on the boat deck and like it, the boat's going as fast as it can. So they're getting sprayed with salt water on their oh, open burn wounds. Just like and there's nothing they can do about it. They're just like, we just have to wait until we get back because it's 90 fucking minutes. Imagine being rescued and you're like, I'm safe. But it's also 90 minutes till I get to a fucking hospital. Yes. And all these areas where my skin is just falling off of my body yeah. are now getting doused in seawater. Yes. Cool. That's it's awful. Just, it's terrible. So there were 26 injured people aboard the Phoenix and 21 people still remained. So 26 people were rescued from the island and are on the Phoenix and 21 people still remained near the crater rim. I didn't realize it was this many people. Mm-hmm. I was 47. thinking that's oh, that's so many. Mm-hmm. That's so many people by the crater still. Yeah. So Jesse is still near the crater and the acid lake and he's just covered in ash and he just sees people spread out around him either dead or dying and he just like assesses the situation in his head. And he's like, he he knows that if he has any chance of survival, he needs to get treated quickly. And at this point, he said that they had they had already been waiting for a half hour. And he's like, no one's coming for us. Yeah. So he comes to that realization on his own. So he musters all the strength he can and he stands up and he does this knowing that he's walking away from his family towards the shore. But he's just trying to see, like, what's happening to try to bring help back to. Yeah. I mean, he's he's abandoning his family in a way, but he's saving them or yeah, trying, trying to get help to, to yeah. them. So he remembered from Hayden's safety brief that if they got lost to follow the stream and that would take them to the beach. So he finds the stream. He follows it and he he's walking towards the beach. And he says all he wants to do is just sit down and rest. But he knows that if he does, he's probably not going to be able to get up. So he finally makes it to the shoreline and he sees crew members from the Phoenix from afar and he sees that they're kind of like they're starting to move out. They're getting back on the boats. They're like, Mm. there's no one else here. So and this is like that scene in Titanic when Rose is trying to get the guys like she's on the lifeboat and she's trying to get their attention. She's like, come back. Yeah. So this is like Jesse at this point. He tries calling out, but his voice is faint. No one's hearing him. So he tries once more and he just screams as loud as he can. And finally they turn around and they see him and they help him. And he tells them there are people still by the crater. My family's still there. We, they need help. He tries to get them to go to the crater to help. But they tell him, like, it, don't worry. Everything's going to be OK. Like, we have to get back to the Tapuya because they didn't know if the volcano was going to erupt again. Yeah, fair point. And they're like, let's be honest, dude, like. Your family's probably not going to make it. Yeah. It, yes. It It's so difficult in emergency situations. Mm-hmm. If you are able to save yourself, that's your first instinct. Yeah. But if you can save other people, mm-hmm. like that's what you should do. But I don't know. I see yeah. both sides of it. It's very right. difficult. So they board the Tapuya and they leave with some of, sur- of their survivors still left because some people also like from the crater, mm-hmm. some other people were able to just like do the same thing as Jesse did and walk down. So after like this group, they're like, like, we got to leave. We yeah. got to leave. So Mark Law, Tim Burrow, Jason Hill 
in Tom's story are all commercial helicopter pilots. They they are not search and rescue, and they go out there, they land on the island, and there are more people left on the island than they thought that they were that there were going to be. So he radios to John, who radios to the authorities and lets them know that there are still a bunch of survivors here that need rescuing. Like there are people alive. They just can't move. They're just near this crater. Mark and his team request two wet pack rescue helicopters because, like I said, they're just commercial helicopters. Right. They just have basic first aid. They don't have stretchers. They like these people can't walk. Right. How are they going to like they I guess they can carry them, but they don't have any of these equip this equipment. Yeah. But then you strap them in and like their skin falls off because they're just wearing a regular seatbelt. Yeah, so and they're not a rescue team. They're just people who saw what was happening and decided to help. So Mark and his team are giving people water. They're trying to help clear their airways, giving people gas masks. All the while, ash is still falling, and the volcano is continuing to rumble. So it's like it's still angry, and it's like, I might, I might do it again. Yeah. But regardless of this, they stay, and they're just helping. Like, they're just like, it doesn't matter. We're just going to help these people. So the Coast Guard meets the Phoenix halfway back to shore and their ambulance crew boards to help with the injured. But like I said, there really isn't much that they can do. What Jeff was already doing was like basically all they could do. These people need a hospital. Right. So John is in the air communicating to air traffic control and there are a lot of survivors that need help. But they can't carry these people away from the crater because they're just too injured. Mm -hmm. So air traffic control tells John that they've been directed by the communication center that no one is going to the island. (gasps) Because it's still an active volcano. The decision was made at a high level that a no-fly zone was put in place due to the dangerous environment around the island. The area was deemed too dangerous for rescue teams as there was a high risk for another explosion. That is so tough. So John calls to Mark on the island and he tells him you just have to do what you can with what you've got you're on your own that's so scary so mark jumps to plan b do it ourselves right no one's coming either we do it or we leave these people Mm -hmm. to die and this is about 80 minutes after the eruption now so they start identifying survivors and they start to move them to the helicopters as best as they can mark tells the survivors that the hospital is 20 minutes away and that they're going to get up like, you're going to get off. You're going to be safe. We got you. So they load up five people in the first helicopter, and it takes off. They load the second helicopter, and then Tim is only able to take two people in his helicopter. But they managed to get all of the remaining survivors off of the island. Amazing. That's amazing. So there were 12 people total who were transported back to the mainland by three helicopters. Eight people still remained on the island because they were already dead. Oh, wow. So two hours after the eruption, the Phoenix is approaching the mainland. The skipper tells everyone, he says, hang on. He puts the boat into full speed. He's like, we're not stopping. The boat just went over the sandbar. He's going full speed over the sandbar. Like, he can't really stop and dock and do all this stuff. So he just basically, like, floors it to get to the shore. So he's going full speed. He goes over the sandbar, over the river to where... There's just a line of paramedics and firefighters waiting for them. Well, yeah, he can't 
what are they gonna do swim right like to the shore he's like we're just going he's like he's like we're just gonna hit the shore like i'm just going straight in very very action movie <laughs> right so people come to the boat with glad wrap to cover the burn victims because they were just using whatever they could to try to protect their burns yeah Rescue services direct Mark and his team to fly to the airport with the survivors on board. And Mark's like, no, he knew time was of the essence. And he tells them, no, I'm not bringing them to the airport. I'm bringing them straight to the hospital instead. Wow. Which, why would you tell him to go to the airport? There's like rescue services are waiting for you at the airport. And he's like, no, these people need a hospital now. I'm going straight to the the hospital. (sighs) So he explains in the documentary, he's like, we've already been let down by these people. Like, they refuse to help us. Yeah. So once they tell us that they're to bring them to an airport, he's like, F you. Like, I'm going to the hospital. Like, yeah. that's the wrong decision. Absolutely. Search and rescue instead, instead of, like, employing their own people, they uh-huh. relied on untrained helicopter pilots to do their jobs and save the remaining survivors. I mean... If you think about it, they didn't rely on them to do this. They literally told them, like, we're not helping you. You're you're on your own. We're leaving them for dead. Yeah. So you that's ba- yeah, that's what if you choose to save them, that's on you. We're not saving. That's them. like, yeah, the yes. survivors are like, we were basically left for dead. So among the people rescued from the island by the helicopters were Stephanie and her father. Her sister, her sister, Crystal, was pronounced dead and left there. Her father, Paul, died in the hospital from his wounds, and Stephanie was put in a medically induced coma, and she survives. Oh, wow. But she had eight fingers amputated, (gasps) and burns covered 70% of her body, including her face. Oh, no. So when you see her in interviews now, she has, like, she's no hair. She's got, got, like, that black, like, cloth mass. Yeah. So she's... She's alive, but she's fucked up. That's so fucking sad. On December 17th, Jesse wakes up in the hospital to the news that his entire family is dead. His father was rescued off of the island by Mark and his crew, but he succumbed to his injuries at the hospital. His mother and his sister passed away on the island, and his sister's body was never recovered. There were a couple. There were a couple people that were just never recovered. Do you, do, some bodies were. I don't have the number, but yeah. I wonder why. I wonder if they like disintegrated. So yeah, you know? I think w- the people who weren't recovered. So I know his sister and then Hayden, the one guide. Uh huh. He his body was never recovered either, and the people who did survive, who were in the area at that time, said that they were like on the rim of the crater. So they were <gasps> literally there. So they, they, they might have fallen into the, they could have fallen crater. in, they could have yeah, burned. Acid I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's as strong as battery acid. Like it will eat your body. Yeah. So they're either, I guess in the crater or the lake. I oh don't know. no. Did Tiffany survive? Tiffany also passed away. <gasps> yeah. On his day off. On his day off. Yeah. That's the worst way to die. I know. Matt and Lauren survived the eruption as well, but both were severely burned throughout their entire bodies um, they are still dealing with their injuries. 18 months after the eruption, they were still getting a surgery once a month. And like th- they show in the documentary, like their hands, like they can barely even close their hands. And like it's just bad. It's amazing that they survived. Yeah. The official death toll of the eruption was 22 people, 
eight people on the island and 14 people died in the hospital afterwards. And who knows if that number would be less if rescue helicopters were dispatched when word got out about the eruption. Yeah. It's 80 minutes before. Yeah. It literally could have been they could have been there 80 minutes earlier. So the island's owners, Andrew James and Peter Buttle. No. Three brothers owned a volcano. They inherited it from there. Oh, my yeah. God. That is the most it's rich inherited. person thing I have mm-hmm. ever heard in my life. Yeah. But, Daddy, I want the volcano when you die. Yeah. Well, they all three get to split it. That's fucking insane. So those three guys, along with their corporation, are a part of a group of six defendants set to undergo a lengthy trial for the alleged health and safety shortcomings. They have entered pleas of not guilty. The trial presided over by just a judge alone. It wasn't like a jury, just a judge comes after New Zealand's labor inspectorate carried out its most extensive and intricate investigation to date. That's that's a wild thing to investigate. Yeah. Like, did these three rich white boys <laughs> allow these people to die on their right. private volcano? Additionally, multiple other companies responsible for island visitors have already acknowledged their culpability in related charges. Two weeks before the eruption, experts monitored the seismic activity and deemed the activity moderate to heightened volcanic unrest. With previous eruptions happening out of nowhere, this should have been enough to shut down the island for tours. Are you fucking kidding me? But they chose profit over safety. (gasps) Yeah. Like I said, Geonet two weeks prior said, "This this can happen. And they were like, oh, okay, cool. Like that should that should have been the indicator where the island is shut down until it erupts. Yes. The owners knew nothing of the island. They were just rich white men who had been handed down this island. So they're not they're not monitoring it. They're just like getting handed a check every month for these tours for like leasing and renting the the island that they're traversing. I have a hot take here. Hot, hot take. Mm -hmm. No one should own a volcano. No, they shouldn't. No. No one should own a volcano. I don't think that's a hot take. (laughs) So they are accused of diverting responsibility to tour operators. Nice. In which they also charged license fees and commissions, obviously. Okay, so they're For use of their island. They're fully profiting off of these tours. Mm -hmm. And they're like, but we didn't do it. But we didn't do it. Okay, well, you allowed tours on a fucking volcano. (laughs) The trio of siblings, in conjunction with their company, Vakari Management Limited, as well as ID Tours New Zealand and Taranga Tourism Services, are all facing criminal charges filed by New Zealand's workplace safety overseer, WorkSafe. Okay, see, this is where they get you. Just like in America, don't fuck with OSHA. Yeah. So (laughs) these charges assert that they violated workplace safety regulations. And they face a minimum fine of $1.5 million in New Zealand dollars and around 885000 in U.S. dollars. Does not seem like enough. No. And each individual faces a maximum of $300,000 in New Zealand dollars or 177000 in U.S. Also not enough. ID Tours New Zealand and Taranga Tourism Services were accused of neglecting to offer sufficient cautionary measures and safeguards to their clientele in the event of potential eruptions. 
While hard hats were supplied, additional protective attire was not. A significant number of visitors were simply wearing t-shirts and shorts, despite the requirement for overalls and heat-resistant durable boots. Oh, my God. So if I wonder if they would have been wearing like overalls and like these obviously like heat resistant boots. Yeah, I don't know. But if the seam went through their clothing, like unless these coveralls or whatever were also heat resistant. Well, it's like a, like a windbreaker or something. Yeah. Like, you know, like that. I don't know what type of material. But so they allow people that are doing these tours to just wear whatever they want, like T-shirt, shorts, right. whatever. The actual scientists that go on this island to like study it and pull samples and stuff are always in this like these overalls, these this attire that's like made for this volcano. But with, oh. for people, it's just like whatever. You can just wear whatever. Oh, crazy. So you're saying that you're, that's so crazy that a scientist who understands geothermal, <laughs> um, the powers of a volcano is wearing protective gear on an active volcano. Mm -hmm. But, like, a child can just wear a tank top and, like, yeah. shorts. Also, I'm going to say that breathing in toxic volcanic gas probably isn't good for your lungs either, you know? No. <laughs> There's a lake full of battery yeah. acid. And they just, like, they offer these respirators. Like, if you want to use them, you don't have to. Here, suck on this hard candy instead. This is feeling very pre-pandemic, like, like, oh, why would I wear a mask in right. front of, like, anything? You know, like, I don't need this. <laughs> yeah. Defense attorneys argued that their clients bore no responsibility for the well-being and safety of individuals on the island, asserting that this duty fell upon other parties. So it's basically just like, well, pointing fingers like he should have done it. No, you should have done it, you know. But like if it's not the tour companies and the owners of the islands, like if it's not their responsibility, then whose is it? You can't just keep pointing fingers and be like, well, it's his. I'm suing God. So the trial actually started july of this year oh in an article written nine days ago the three buttle brothers the ones who inherited the island and owned it through a family trust had their charges dismissed <gasps> by an auckland judge stating not enough evidence the trial regarding their company however is still ongoing okay well uh, maybe yeah a total of 13 parties were involved in this case. The three Buttle Brothers and their enterprise, the tour company, White Island Tours, and several additional tourism organizations, along with New Zealand's volcano monitoring entity, GNS Science, and the National Emergency Management Agency. That makes sense because they should have demanded that they shut this down. Yes. Yes. The Buttle Brothers and their enterprise, WML, entered pleas of not guilty, and so did two additional tourism companies, ID Tours New Zealand and Taranga Tourism Services. They were also entered a plea of not guilty. Okay. I'm going to say something about these brothers here. Uh, the Buttle Brothers, they sound like dumb little fox. <laughs> like, we're the Buttle Boys, you know? The Buttle Boys. The Buttle Boys. Like it's giving like Mo Curly and what's the other one? Shemp. No, Shemp was the fourth one. Uh, Mo Curly Larry. There it is. Yeah. The Buttle Boys. Five additional groups, including tour operators, have admitted their guilt and are currently awaiting sentencing. Initially, the National Emergency Management Agency pleaded not guilty, but subsequently they successfully petitioned for the dismissal of the charges against them. And I know that Stephanie and her mother are also, they're trying to sue Royal Caribbean, 
Not sure if that's happening. I'm sure other people are also trying. Yeah. I don't really have the specifics because like it's, those are like personal uh-huh. cases. It's not, you know, and I, there's just really no information from it. But I would hope that some people would be trying to sue the cruise company, the cruise line for not informing them. I would think so. And I'm sure it'll settle out of court. Yeah. Oh, yeah. totally. As of today, all tours of White Island have been ceased and the island is closed for foot traffic with no plans to open anytime soon. That was a fucked up story. I was looking at photos of these poor people while you were doing this and I will post some on the social medias. Um, mm-hmm. It's fucked up, dude. It's really sad. This is all this is all horrifying. And also I was I looked up an article just now. I was like, oh, I just want to see what this crater lake looks like, right? Uh-huh. There is an article from exactly one year before this erupted. Yeah. That's like, for some reason, the crater lake is starting to overflow. The last time this <laughs> happened was when it erupted, but it's probably fine. Oh, fine. So, like, they saw signs of this, like, yeah. a year before. All of the signs, let's just say, all of the signs were there. The tourism company should have stopped. That was the big thing that the prosecution brought up. It was like, you chose profit over safety. Yes. So I think the moral of this episode is that your company, whoever you work for, unless you work for yourself or Mm -hmm. I don't know you, uh, will literally let you die on a volcano before they shut down and lose profits. And also if you're on vacation and you're doing like any, I don't know, we all do excursions when we go on vacation. For sure. uh, Make sure, like, don't always trust it. No. (laughs) This is what's so important about doing some independent research about some stuff, people. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, that was a horrifying story. Um, I had no idea about any of this. What was the name of that documentary again? It's called The Volcano Rescue from Vakari on oh. Netflix. Okay, so check that out on the Netflix if you have it. And thank you. I will post terrifying photos. Yeah. With a trigger warning because there will be a lot of sloughing yeah. off of flesh. Ew, you're going to post those pictures? I might. Post Do they them. have those pictures? There's a couple. It's, it's pretty sad. Wow, that was crazy. Um, ew, if anyone, I'd like to just do a shout out. If anyone has seen a volcano, been on a volcano, knows a volcano intimately, I want to hear about it. We want to hear. Write to us at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com and tell us your volcano stories. And I also do have a listener mail. Hmm. So not non-volcano related. This though. isn't a volcano one? I'm sorry. This <laughs> nah, is about okay. the floor being lava, actually. Ooh, so. okay. No, it's not. Uh <laughs> This listener mail comes from Mike A. What's up, Mike A? He says, this story has always stuck out to me for many reasons over the years. One, I saw a full body apparition. Two, said apparition was confirmed at that exact moment by two kids it was playing with. Three, my photographic and eidetic memory since age two won't let me forget. And here is the story. It was fall 1997, and I was in the army for over a year. We just came back from a deployment in Saudi Arabia due to the Kabor Towers bombing in late summer of 1996. It was crazy, especially getting almost weekly video threats from Osama bin Laden at the time. Wait, like like actually Osama bin Laden? Like him? He was sending you video threats. Wait, you know Osama? Everyone was getting comfortable being back, and a lot of us were bringing our families to town to live with us since they stayed out of state during deployment. 
especially my then wife and twin daughters. One day I saw a buddy of mine that had since moved to another company at the time, and he asked if I wanted to come over to his house for lunch and catch up. So I did, and I followed him to his on-base housing, which was probably built in the 1960s. I met his wife at the door, and we went inside, and she made some sandwich stuff, and we were sitting at the table, the kitchen table, and I hear their two kids playing down the hall. From where I was sitting, if I had turned my head to the left, I could have seen all the way down the hallway and a couple of doors and the couple doors they were running in and out of. Now, I knew they had two kids because I had two kids. So at some point, I hear them laughing and giggling and having a good time, and they start running in and out of the room. I see their daughter, seven, and their son, five, and then another girl. Hmm. I turned to my buddy and his wife and said something like, that's awesome that you all just moved in and the kids already have friends to play with. They look at each other and then at me, and then the wife says that they don't have any friends Hmm. yet and that they have been mainly in the house. So I say, who's the young girl that they're playing with in that white dress, long, dark brown hair? She has a red belt and a red bow and a ribbon in her hair. The mom just stared at me for a good 30 seconds. So she got up and she went down the hallway. My buddy looked at me and nodded to and nodded to join them, and we got up and went down the hall as well. The mom asked them if they were having a good time, and they both said yeah. She then asked them if they had a friend over, and they stayed quiet. Then she said, hello, I'm talking to you. Who's your friend? Then their daughter finally says, she's our new friend. She's so nice and so pretty. You would love her, mom. (laughs) Her mom asked her to describe her, and the girl says, she's my age with brown hair and a beautiful white dress, red belt, red bow, and ribbon flowing in her hair. And they both look at me, and I chucked up the deuces and left, (laughs) laughed my ass off. I sat in their driveway for about 10 minutes, contemplating everything that had happened. Not only did I see her, but the kids saw her and described her exactly how I did. Needless to say, I didn't see my buddy for about five months, and when I did, he told me that they were having poltergeist activity in the house. And so they moved off base, and and they haven't encountered anything since. This was the very first full-body apparition that I saw, and although I have had many experiences since the age of three, this by far impacted me the most to this day. Thanks for reading, Mike. That's awesome. I've never seen a full-bodied apparition. That's wild, dude. You gotta, you gotta get one. You gotta get that apparition. Well, if anyone else has any full-body apparition stories, let us know. Send us your mail at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com. Or you can fan mail us on our website, quiteunusualpod.com. But please don't ask us what our price is. Don't ask the price. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is, and I don't want to. I don't want to. You can also reach out to us on Patreon if you are a Patreon or if you'd like to join our Patreon. You can just find us at patreon.com slash quiteunusualpod. We're on, like, literally all the social meds as quiteunusualpod, so hit us up there. And we have one new patron member to welcome. So welcome to Sophia B. Welcome. And if you have anything cool you want to send us, or you can handwrite your listener mail too, you can send it to P.O. Box 1212 in Des Plaines, Illinois, 60017. And as always, remember to celebrate the strange. And keep it unusual. Bye. Bye.
And this is a part of the show where we give praise to the all-knowing cult leaders, supporters of the podcast, and all-around benevolent beings and cult members. To Tim M., a vegan vampire, he sustains off the weird liquid from beyond meat packages and, and beet juice. That does not sound satisfying. No. Evan K., rumor has it he's John Keel's grandnephew twice removed. Does... That make him Mothman's second cousin? How does that work? Second cousin once removed? Uh, I don't know. So they can get married? Yes. Katie T, the original queen of the damned. Adam K, who is so serious about soup season that he refuses to eat anything off of a plate for at least four months straight. I'm so excited for soup season. John S., the leader for a band that only knows how to play the Monster Mash. But, man, do they know how to play the hell out of that song. It was a graveyard smash. Caitlin R., the president of the Ghosts Without Borders Society, which works to keep ghosts' ability to walk through walls. Hmm. Alex C., sort of the Buffalo Bill of the crew, but not in a scary murder-kidnap way. In like a encourages us to all put the lotion on our skin way. Anti-aging skincare is no joke. Moisturize, people. Moisturize. Jeff S. Once we saw Jeff S. disappear into thin air. When he returned, he had a bunch of Snickers bars for us. Turns out he comes from an alternate dimension where Snickers literally grow on trees. Sharing is caring. It is. Lenore M., a talented crafter, she once knit chainmail into a turtleneck sweater, stylish and battle-ready. We love it. Justin W., he hails from the Van Helsing line, but instead of killing vampires, he hosts a vampire group therapy session at his house once every week so they can learn to kill their past traumas. Boy, would I like to see that as a reality show. Molly M., I heard she's hiding hundreds of snakes under her long, beautiful hair. I wonder if they're friendly snakes. I'm sure. And Steve S., the keeper of the torch that lights the way from the waking world into the underworld. Unfortunately, though, it does run on batteries, and he is out of batteries, so I hope you're not scared of the dark. Thank you to all of our coven members on Patreon. Without you, we are... Nothing. We're, we're nothing. We're not worthy. We're not worthy of any of this. We're not even worthy of you stepping on us like the doormats that we are. Well, I mean, I didn't want to go that low. I don't want to get dirt on my dress. No, we're very unworthy, though. We're super unworthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. 